We're going to conclude today the call to manhood. We've been using the model found in Psalm 23 of the example of our good shepherd. And uh, I won't go through everything too deep, but just for the sake of reminding us of everything we are to our last week here of discussing these things, if you look at Psalm 23, we're going to read the whole thing together just as a reminder. The Psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Those are the three areas of provision we talked about in week one. Provision for, for uh, physical needs. He makes me lie down in green pastures, that full belly situation. He leads me beside quiet waters, that emotional strength, the strong tower that he is. He restores my soul by providing an avenue of salvation for us and how we should be men, that are pro, uh, men of provision to our families. He guides me in paths of righteousness. For his namesake, we talked about spiritual leadership and leading in righteousness and for the glory of God and the example Christ was for that also for, for our lives to be that in our families and our homes. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Last week we talked about that in light of, of the faithfulness of God that regardless of the condition of the darkness we walk through, he walks with us, that he has a rod and staff of protective discipline that comforts us. And all of that, how that brings comfort to our lives. Verse 5 is going to be our focus today. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Pretty neat passage of Scripture. It's, a, you know, it's one of those things where I think people most of the time only share it at funerals and other things, but it's a great example of the heart of our Good Shepherd and who He is. So, so verse 5 talks about saying, You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And the first and number one is, is that a godly man prepares a table of relationship. We see that our God is not a God that is dead. He is not a God that has, has shut the door of relationship. He's not a God that looks at us and says, you're unfit or unworthy or not good enough. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want to speak to you. Our God is not that type of a God. In John 10, verses 14 and 15, Jesus makes a direct reference to this passage that He is the Good Shepherd. He says, I am the Good Shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus, making this connection, uses the word know multiple times. Him knowing the sheep and Him knowing the Father. Him being in between us, Him being the one reaching out to us and reaching out to the Father, bringing reconciliation. Everybody say reconciliation. reconciliation. Say it six times really fast. No, I just don't do that to you. God, before this time, we have to realize that before Christ came and died on a cross, before we are to where we are today, God was seen as this, this unapproachable, angry, vengeful, vengeful wrathful God. He, he was a God that if you touch the mountain, you die. You know, he, he was the God, you don't mess with God. You know, you obey the Lord. You, here's the laws and you live by that. And if you don't live by it, there's judgment that's going to follow. God was the one behind the curtain that you couldn't approach without all the, the, the sacrifices and all the processes of cleansing that they had to go through to get in. It, God was unapproachable to them. 
He, he seemed angry. He seemed separate. He seemed like it was, it was something that couldn't be done. But Jesus came in the picture and He said, Look, I know the Father. I know you. He came so that there could be restoration. He came so that He would be the mediator or the, the one that is between us and God bringing reconciliation. 1 Timothy 2, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. So he's the shepherd that knows us, and he's the shepherd that knows the Father, and he is the mediator, the one that is coming to re- reconcile and restore relationship between God and man. It's very, very, very important. Amen? Jesus was the avenue of provision that was provided that we see in the Old Testament where Abraham goes to the top of Mount Moriah and he has his young son Isaac with him. And Isaac's saying, Father, we've brought everything. We've got the wood and and, and all the stuff for the sacrifice, but where is the lamb? There is no lamb for sacrifice. And he said very simply to him, he said, God himself will provide the lamb for sacrifice. God, it was His plan all along to set down and provide a lamb of sacrifice. Even before the foundations of the world were set in order, even before Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 was spoken, before anything was said, before the Spirit hovered over the waters of the earth, before creation began, God sat down with Jesus and said, look, I'm going to make this creation. They're going to fall away, but I'm going to have to give them hope through you. Will you go and die for them on a cross so that their sins would be forgiven? Jesus had made the decision before we were ever even made. You see, God knew and and knew that man would fall out of relationship with Him. God knew that man would walk away from Him, that man would pursue their own things. And you would say, how? This this table thing. What are you talking about relationship and fellowship? In in Jesus' time, when you had relationship and fellowship, you sit around the table. It wasn't just about eating. It was getting to know, it was developing, it was, it was growing together. And it says here that Jesus, that Jesus, the shepherd, prepared a table in the presence of my enemies. Hear, hear what this is saying. Listen to the picture. This, this wasn't just thrown together by some man. God orchestrated this. Jesus came and died on the cross where? In the presence of his enemies. If you read Psalm 22 and you back up and you see where where he's surrounded by the Gentiles and how they take his clothes and they pierce his hands and his feet, all the stuff, the crucifixion that was talking, there there was this anointing that took place in the presence of his enemies. Why? So that so that relationship would be restored to the Father. There's a whole lot of parallels in all this, and I don't want to get lost in all of them, but I want us to grasp the, the main thing being the main thing today is that the table of fellowship. God established it. Man wasn't able to do it. God went to extremes to ensure that relationship was where it needed to be. Nobody else could do it. Nobody else could find a way. Nobody else could think of anything else to do. Only God could make the way. We see this this desire of God in Revelation chapter 3. He's speaking to the church at Laodicea. And he says this in verse 20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. You see that? The table thing? Eating together? To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I overcame and sat down with my father on this throne, on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The church in Laodicea had become lukewarm. 
They had become half-hearted. They, they had got caught up in the activities of religion and they had left behind relationship and they had become pitiful, poor and blind and naked. And Jesus was saying, but listen, there's hope for you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you will let me in, I'll come and restore fellowship with you. If you will let me in, I will come and take you back to your first love. If you will let me in, if you will let me come in and sit down and fellowship with you and sup with you around the table, that there will be restoration. That's who I am. That's what I do. I restore relationship. Jesus reiterated this in John chapter 17 as He prayed over His disciples. He said, Father, I want those You have given Me to be with Me where I am and to see My glory, the glory You have given Me because You loved Me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know You, I know You, and they know that You have sent Me. I have made You known to them and will continue to make You known in order that the love You have for Me may be in them and that I Myself may be in them. Did you hear what He said? He said, I've made You known to them and I will continue to make You known to them. How is He going to continue to make the Father known to us? Because this was right before He went to the cross. By His Holy Spirit. By the written Word of God. The constant making known of the Father. People say, well, I, don't, I can't know God if God exists. Listen, you can go to any kind of university in America right now, any kind of liberal university, and sometimes, unfortunately, yes, even our Christian universities, where people will stand up and, and take agnostic views as though God is not some God that is knowable, and God is not active today, and God is not known today, and God doesn't speak to our hearts today. And there's denominations of churches all over the place that have raised up and said, God doesn't really speak to your life. That's all hyper-spiritual. That's all charismania it's not something that God really does but listen my friends God is active because Jesus said I have made you known and I will continue to make you known he didn't say I'll continue to make you known for five more years or ten more years or twenty or until the gospel is put together in the Bible and then I'm gonna shut up he said I'm going to continue so what does that tell me that tells me that he's still talking that means that He's still making the Father known. As a matter of fact, today the Father is being made known because you and I are having spoken to our hearts the fact that our God is a relational God that wants to have relationship and not religion. In this fallen world, men, God has called us to be godly men that carry the attribute of desiring relationship with our families. Our families, I don't know if you know this or not, but our families are under attack. And they are surrounded by enemies. They are surrounded by an enemy that wants to see your wives destroyed, that wants to see your children destroyed, that wants to see you destroyed. And God has established you as a leader of your home with the responsibility of establishing a table of relationship in your house. Now men, I know this is hard because I've said before, a lot of times it's, it's the mentality of, of our wives and the ladies in our lives that will make us stop and get us back to the table of relationship again because the tendency for us is to disconnect and go back to verse 1 of provision. Look at the steak I brought home tonight, darling. I'm going to go out the shed. No, 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 no. Come here. Talk to me. 
talk to me. They force us back into relationship. But the reality of it is is that God took that responsibility upon Himself. And men, we may need some help from our spouses on this thing. Because it was God that was unapproachable. It was God that couldn't be seen and understood. It was God that everybody was afraid of. But He sent Jesus to be that mediator in between. And sometimes our spouses have got to be that mediator with us to our families. To draw us back into relationship. But God has not called us to set up laws and tell people to follow them and never to speak to them. God has not called us men to establish the rules of our house and never sit down and to share love. I I appreciate the fact that our Father humbled Himself that Jesus humbled himself and lowered himself and got down on his knees to gather his children up in relationship. Amen? God invested himself in mankind by the power of the Holy Spirit to ensure that that fellowship would never be broken. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The Holy Spirit loves to draw us in fellowship with God and in fellowship with brotherly love. Ephesians 1, 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. We must know Him, men. We talked a couple of weeks ago about going into our prayer closet, hearing what the Lord says, and sharing that with our families. That's our responsibility. So we prepare a table of relationship in the presence of the enemies of God. Secondly, a godly man understands the importance of the anointing and affirmation. He says, He anoints my head with oil. He anoints my head with oil. We see where the good shepherd has taken advantage of his time of fellowship in the midst of the enemies to now anoint us in the midst of those that despise us. There's an anointing that God wants to give to us. That anointing that happened in the midst of the enemies of God on the cross later turned into an anointing of relationship through the Holy Spirit that was given in an upper room where it was surrounded by foreigners coming in. Those that mocked, those that laughed and said, oh, surely they're drunk. What's wrong with these guys? There's an anointing that took place because our God knows that there's a valley of the shadow of death that you're going to have to go through. So there's a preparation that must take place. There's an anointing, there's an affirmation, there's a relationship from the Holy Spirit that takes place. Now this is going to go somewhere. If you turn to 1 Samuel in your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 16, we're going to read verses 4 through 13 together. It's a passage of Scripture that I know that that if you've been in church for any amount of time, you're very familiar with. But again, the Bible wasn't just thrown together by accident. There's some really cool parallels here with David. David, at this time, is just a boy. And God had spoken to Samuel, the prophet's heart, and said, I want you to go anoint a king, a, a man, a son of Jesse. Go to his house. And this is what happened in verse 4. Samuel did what the Lord said 
When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then made Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent him, sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. I've always felt this to be a very powerful scripture for men to look at and to understand. We have a father bringing his sons in to be seen by the prophet Samuel to receive an anointing. Obviously, he, he followed the, the normal the process, brought in the oldest who would be the one worthy of it by man's ideas. And he comes in and, and God said, no, it wasn't just, no, he's not the one. I've rejected him. Quit looking at his external issues. He's got heart issues that he cannot serve me in the capacity that I would love to anoint him for. Then you have the others that were rejected. And, and I think the thing that catches me off guard more than anything is the fact that, that David was overlooked. That these seven sons were brought up and in front of, of, of Samuel. In some of the other versions on the King James, it alludes to the fact like he brought them back again, all seven, instead of going out to David. And David, who's just serving, the, you know, serving watching over the sheep out, out here, wasn't thought of, wasn't considered, wasn't even mindful of. And they bring him in, and Samuel anoints him as king in front of whom? His brothers. Can I tell you something? That sometimes an anointing will cause people to become your enemies. Sometimes an anointing, when somebody affirms you publicly and says there's a call of God on your life, then suddenly there becomes those doubters, those accusers, those that say things, those that make comments, those that mock. In 1 Samuel 17, 28, David went out to the battle and brought stuff to his brothers from his father. And in, in, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Listen, enemies can come into our lives because of our anointing. Jealousy, rage, envy, frustration, anger. If you don't believe me, look at Joseph's life as well in the Bible. Did his brothers love him for the anointing and the call of God upon his life? You say, why am I saying all of this? Because our God loves us enough to be in relationship with us, and he loves us enough to affirm us and to speak into our lives blessings because he knows there's going to be enemies that are going to try to doubt and cause problems because they're going to try to tear down what's been poured into you. Men, we have to lead in this manner. 
The cool thing about David's psalm is the fact that it talks about being anointed. And David doesn't say that Samuel anoints my head with oil. He's talking about the good shepherd anointing his head with oil. Listen to me very close. This is very important. He said, you anoint my head with oil. He's not talking about Samuel. Listen to me. Even though Samuel came and anointed his head with oil, who was the one that did the anointing? It was God. But the cool thing is, is that he brings a man in, a man that he's spoken to his heart to step up and to take the flask and say, this is what the Lord says. The Lord says, you are going to be king of Israel. Anoints his head. We cannot lead like Jesse that says, this one's good, that one's bad, this one's only worth being his faithfulness out with the sheep, but he's not my favorite, not the one that I would pick. We've got to be led by Samuel, like Samuel, when we're raising our children to look in and begin to call the king or the princess or the queen out of our children's lives. This is who you will be. I know the world says they want you to do this, but praise God, I've sought His face. He's talked to me about you, and this is what He said about you. Suddenly, something rises up inside of the young person, and they begin to believe those words, and now they're strengthened and they're encouraged because they can walk in righteousness and do what God's called them to be. Now hear me, men. Our tendency is to not be relational, and our tendency is not to affirm our families. But God has called us to affirm them. He's placed the oil within us in our hand to place on our kids' lives and say, God has said this about you. God didn't give us a bunch of rules and just say, follow these rules. He, didn't, he wasn't mean and harsh and said, here's the Ten Commandments. If you don't follow these, there's no hope for you. The only time God came in and spoke to him was that the only time was to bring correction. Because in our homes, when we set up our rules, and the only time we speak to our kids is to bring correction. We do damage. If there's rules without relationship, we breed rebellion. We've got to affirm our kids because our kids are longing for your affirmation. They want somebody to step up and tell them what they can and cannot be. They want somebody to step up and to speak truth into their life and to call out the king or the queen or the princess or whatever you want in their lives. He wants you to, they want you to call that out. You say, how do you know, Pastor Bob, that a young person wants my advice? They live in a totally different world. I don't understand their culture. They don't understand my culture. And we just butt heads. Listen, that's an excuse. That's an excuse. God has called you to take the attributes of Him on your life that would be the anointer, that would be the giver. Now, I'm not talking about a spiritual anointing. I'm talking about a blessing of a father. How do I know? I've seen young men and young ladies. I've seen them. They've sat in my office before hating the sports that they play, but they play it because their dad wants them to and they're only doing it just because that's the only time their dad may say something nice to them. The unfortunate thing is, is that those same kids are the same ones that have played a great game. They've made two mistakes. They maybe let a ground ball go by or they, you know, they dropped a fly ball or, or misran the bases and got thrown out at second. That same kid, they do one or two things wrong. They come up the, the, the hill from the ball diamond or wherever else and it's that father that looks at them and only points out the two things they did wrong instead of affirming the hit that they got before the two-run double or whatever. Listen, men, you have power to build and destroy with your words. And these young kids, these boys and these girls are longing for your affirmation. They're not longing for your rebuke. 
If it's needed, bless God, give it. But if all you give is rebukes without relationship, I promise you, you are driving your child far from you and into the midst of the enemies that surround them. A young man that hasn't received affirmation will be a young man that will try to go find out what a man is on his own and on his own idea because manhood was never spoke over his life. He'll go out and try to decide that drugs and alcohol and pursuing women is manhood. He'll go out and try to find some other way to make himself feel like a man. He'll start listening to the enemies and what they say manhood is. Men, your daughters need your affirmation. Your daughters need the anointing of a father that's loving and will cup their little face and tell them how beautiful they are. Too many young girls that that have done destructive behaviors to their body, starving themselves, binging and purging, and cutting themselves, and, 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 and dressing themselves in cheap ways to get some affection, are doing it because they don't have somebody at home saying, I think you're valuable, you're beautiful, and you don't need to sell yourself short. They won't need some guy's affirmation because they're getting it at home in purity from their father. I've seen it too many times. And I can tell you something that's scary, a scary combination. You, want, you ready to hear a scary combination? A young boy that's trying to figure out manhood without manly affirmation in his life and a young girl that's trying to find affirmation because her father's not giving it to her at home. You want to know why the teenage pregnancy is so, rate in, uh, so high in America? It's because fathers are not affirming their children. Because we have boys trying to be men by proving themselves and girls looking for affection that they're not getting at home. Men, that anointing, that blessing, that call of God on our lives, that power we have within our families is very, very important. God has established you and it's been through men that God has has spoken into lives for years. You have become like Mordecai in the time of Esther that finally stopped and said, Esther, it is for such a time as this that you have been called for this time. We have been raised up to be that voice of God into the lives of those that we love. Now the anointing that's spoken over a life, it's got to be cultivated and spoken into, but later is when it, may actually, it will actually come about. 2 Samuel 2, in the course of time, verse 1, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah? He asked. The Lord said, go up. David asked, where shall I go? To Hebron, the Lord answered. So David went up there with his two wives, Ahinoam, or something, of Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David also took the men who were with him, each with his family, and they settled in Hebron in its towns. Then the men of Judah came to Hebron, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah, when David was told that it was the men of Jabesh Gilead who, Saul buried, who buried Saul. The, the point is this. David was anointed as a boy by Samuel, but the kingship kingship didn't come till later. The kingship, actually the anointing of that came at a later date. Listen to this picture with me. God, how does He anoint us today? How does He anoint us today? He anoints us by His Holy Spirit. His Spirit comes to live inside of us. It's anointing. Scripture is talking about us being sealed with the Holy Spirit as a deposit of what is to come. 
a promise of things to come. So we have the anointing of the Holy Spirit on this earth, and we walk in that anointing. We have the power of that anointing. We have an awareness of the anointing. We understand that it's a promise of the things to come, that it's a surety of the things to come. It, what's, the, what's it a surety of? It's the surety of the promise of God that we have in eternity someday. But how many of us know there's some valleys of the shadows of death between the anointing and actually coming into the reward? In our children's lives, it's the same way. With David, it was the same way. He was anointed as a boy. 20 plus years later, he actually becomes king. Did he have some valleys of the shadows of death that he walked through as a Saul was trying to kill him for 20 years? Glory to God that we haven't had to deal with that one. If you're going to endure that, you best have an anointing. And in your life, if you're going to be sealed with the Holy Spirit and look towards someday for that promise, you better have an anointing. And if you want your kids to do great things for God and great things in this culture, it requires an anointing of God, but it also can flow through the headship of a Samuel speaking over his son or daughter's life and saying, this is what the Lord has said about you. You will bless God. You will. You don't have to succumb to the things of this culture. You don't have to be overthrown by your enemies. You don't have to be a fearful or be afraid of anything else. But you are my child and you are sealed with promises. Lastly, this morning, if Amber would just come now, that would be great. Lastly, this morning, a man of God will cause blessings to overflow in the lives of those He leads. Scripture says that my cup overflows. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. You affirm me. You call me. You seal me. And now my cup overflows. Do you know the Hebrew word that, that speaks of overflowing is actually, it means saturation. Saturated. It's been a while since the ground's been saturated, hasn't it? Lord, saturate the ground so my tomatoes can grow. Can I get an amen in the house? I got it. Tomatoes aren't looking very good. But anyway, saturate us, Lord. Men, God wants to saturate your family. When things are saturated, when the ground's saturated and we get a little bit more rain, what happens? Where does it go? I know this much. When you live in the country, the toilet doesn't flush as well as it used to. <laughs> Don't flush the toilet! The ground's saturated. We don't want things backing up. Amen? Those city folks, you don't get it, but trust me. <laughs> when the leach field is full, the leach field is full. Don't flush the toilet. When things are saturated, it doesn't have anywhere to go but out. When things are saturated, the river doesn't stay in its banks anymore. When things are saturated, it's to the fullest, most fullest extent. And Paul prayed a prayer. Paul was such a good prayer. Listen, listen to what he said to the Ephesians in chapter 3, in verse 16. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love, to know it, this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. When you're filled to the fullness of God, how much is that? Listen to this. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more. Immeasurable. An immeasurable fullness. The, the abundance of outpouring upon a life can be immeasurable, folks. It can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work with us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What that tells me is this, that when you're already saturated and you're saying, Lord, that's... That's good enough. You don't have to do more. I'm full. And he's going, (laughs) just pouring it out. Pouring out his spirit. Men, God wants to use you in the avenue of anointing in your family to affirm your children. And he's called you to ask for overflow and saturation of your home. How great would it be, men, to walk into the front door of your house and and you've been at a long day at work, you're sweaty, you're tired, you're hot, you're dirty, and you open the door, saturation of the presence of God. That is what God's called us to. God has saturated us with His Holy Spirit, the fullness, immeasurable fullness, and God wants you to reestablish yourself and Him especially him, into your children's lives. Stand with me this morning. We're going to pray through these real quick.